0: Hello. This is minute twenty-five of As If, the podcast about Clueless, where we talk about Clueless minute by minute. I am Darren, your host, and with me today is Shannon Camp. Hello, Shannon. Hi. And Phil Gonzalez. Hello, Phil. Hello there. And in this minute, uh, we start with um, <laughs> with Travis uh, noting that some food is disgusting, and we finish the minute with Share um, demonstrating how to to cut food into small pieces. So that you lose weight um, <laughs> i lo- i just I love the way she does that, and I love the look that Dion gives her as if she's like, "No, this is not right, this is not true. don't say this, but for th- for this minute, mostly it is Travis and Ty in the lunch line. Ty has gone to get some sodas for the girls, um, and you know they talk about Marvin the Martian, and Ty shows him. The drawings, which we've been act- since she's entered, we've been able to see because they're on the kind of book that she's got that she's been holding in her arms for the entire. Like two minutes that we've already met her. Yeah. Well, it's um, a
1: shield. It's a shield. You know, when you hold your binder like that tightly against your chest, it kind of is a barrier between you and the scary new high school environment.
0: We've met Meyer before. Uh, he had 38 tardies to work off. Um, and he, he gave his his speech, his Oscar speech. Amazing. Uh, he, had no pol- he had no political messages to deliver at the end of that. Uh, fortunately, it was, it was just about how uh, a bus driver took a chance on a kid. And like Breckenmeyer and and Brittany Murphy, I'm going to say it right away. They have like such amazing chemistry as soon as they are on screen together. Their names both start with BR as well. Well,
1: well, uh, to that (laughs) point, uh, I was reading over the excellent oral history of Clueless, which I believe was on Vulture. And and Breckenmeyer talked about how he and Brittany Murphy were cast as love interests in films like four times, and they knew each other very well, and they were very good friends. Uh, But they never actually kissed on screen ever as any of their characters. So at the end of the movie, when he gives her that kiss on the forehead, that improvised moment was the only time they ever kissed on screen. But you're right. They have great chemistry. They clearly dig each other and get along very well.
0: This is the part of the film that I feel most closely follows the narrative of Emma, uh, the way that Cher decides to intervene in the life of um, <laughs> of Ty, uh, I mean, that's more in the next minute where she kind of dissuades dissuades her from from getting together with Travis or taking an interest in Travis. Yeah. Um, but kind of the meeting here between uh, Travis, um, who is based on uh, Robert Martin, uh, who in the novel is a is a, a farmer who's kind of rising through the ranks. Uh he's he's making a better life for himself, becoming a gentleman.
1: He's a client of Mr Knightley's, which is kind of how he comes into their circle.
0: And uh Harriet Smith, who is um it's, it's weird it's weird to describe because um she essentially uh, is a, a pupil at a school and she's boarding there and she's been left there by her parents but no one knows who her parents are. Uh and they're assumed to be reasonably wealthy because the school is a good school, but mm. you know she doesn't seem to have the kind of the, the kind of class training that Emma has.
1: I always got the impression from the novel with Harriet that Harriet came from money, but that maybe she was an illegitimate child, or there was another sort of situation like that where they felt that they had to keep her family background a secret, which uh, is kind of bad for her status which kind of makes her lower than she would have been otherwise that was always the impression i got from the characters conversations in the novel yeah i think that's how it's
0: meant to be yeah is that she's she's um she's illegitimate of some gentleman yeah um because because emma's Emma basically sees in her the same kind of social um training that she has but not quite as polished um, because she is quite younger. I mean, a lot younger than, yeah. um, than Emma in the novel. She's like four or five years younger. So, um, you know, and obviously Emma makes a conscious decision <laughs> to take Harriet sort of the same way that Cher does. She kind of has Harriet come to her and says, let's spend some time together and we will, we will basically make you, um, you know, a person in society. Um, uh, and that is kind of what Cher is doing here in a slightly different way. But <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, Harriet is um, she's kind of an interesting character in that. Um, obviously, as with everything in Emma, we see her through Emma's eyes, uh, and so kind of, I, I mean, maybe she's she's got she's better she's got more social graces than we know. But because Emma is the one kind of dictating our point of view, you kind of get the feeling that she. Needs polishing up, uh, to put it in a bizarre way. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. I think Harriet is someone who is very naive, very trusting, and she's not stupid, but she doesn't really have book smarts or street smarts. So in a lot of ways, yeah, she is totally the perfect target for... Uh, Emma's you know need to mother someone because I think it's made even a little bit more of in the book than in the movie that Emma really does have some mother issues because of having lost her own mother at such a young age she kind of wants to play mommy to someone else mm. Um so I love Harriet she's very funny she's very sweet at a certain point her and Emma get these Uh, notes that have like these mystery love riddles on them and she cannot figure out even the most basic of clues um she's just like I I don't want to sound demeaning in any way because it's not like she's totally ditzy it's just that she's she's very young and very kind of unaware of the world around her and I think with Ty that sort of translates to her cluelessness about how school works and how the social hierarchy works
0: yeah i was gonna say because of obviously all the drug stuff in the previous minute you get the impression that ty is not as innocent as harriet smith is yeah in the novel ty seems like she knows what she's doing you know way more
1: street smart than harriet is like there's no contest
0: yeah and and of course you know we'll find out later on in the film um well it's shortly after the makeover that she is not a virgin unlike Uh, Cher and sort of Dion. Um, I'm guessing
1: that Dion and Murray have had oral sex, but just not, you know, what the kids would (laughs) consider official sex, whatever that means. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, Amy Heckling manages to take the kind of elements of... uh, In particular, like, Robert Martin is kind of, like, of lower status, uh, and he kind of knows gentlemen, but he isn't a gentleman. And that kind of stuff could be quite hard to translate, but I feel with Travis you kind of get the idea that he's not of a lower status. I mean, he says he rides the bus, so...
1: He's down to earth, and yeah. he's sort of, mm. you know, earthy compared to the other characters, because he does sort of have that hippie grunge style going on and his long hair and everything.
0: I think um, when I was doing minutes, um, you know, uh, three to seven, I think Travis is fully realized straight away. The way Breckinbier plays him, you know, you, you kind of know exactly what he is. And the fact that he uses a skateboard as a thing to put the food on like as a tray <laughs> While he, like it's such a, it's a, like a little detail that kind of you know and that, of course that draws ty's attention to the skateboard and then obviously he discusses you know about getting rid of the whole thing and they go into this this discussion about marvin the martian um uh, and uh, who i would like to tell you was first kind of conceived in 1948 and of course voiced by mel Blanc. um and, of course, known for spawning the whole Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century stuff. And interestingly enough, on the Spirit Rover that went to Mars, they put a little badge uh, to say that it was the Spirit Rover and, you know, the mission number and everything. And it had a little illustration of Marvin the Martian uh, mm. being sent to Mars. So, you know, NASA kind of, someone at NASA was a fan of the character as well. So
1: I don't know if I'll be on another minute that has uh, Travis Birkenstock in it. So I want to say before we move on that I truly believe that Breck and Meyer's performance in this movie is like a brush with the sublime. It's that good. I'm, I'm grinning ear to ear just thinking about it. Like his mannerisms, the way he tosses his hair, the delivery of his lines. I think he's absolutely hysterical.
0: Well, we get we get a pratfall from him in the next minute. <laughs> but I think that's the last of that's the last of our encounters. Yeah, that's the last of our encounters with Travis uh, is his (laughs) fall.
1: Robert Martin is pretty much a nothing character in the books. Like, we don't even really see him. Knightley talks about him and, like, really thinks highly of him. And then Harriet kind of tells Emma about him. I think it's the point that Emma doesn't really know what this guy is like. So I just feel that with Travis, they took the idea of, you know, the Harriet parallel having a love interest and really... You know, made the most out of that opportunity. Yeah, and
0: um, it's interesting as well because Harriet already knows Robert Martin before the novel of Emma begins. Right, right, right. Whereas obviously Ty and Travis meet here in minute 25. So that's another little kind of change uh, that I think works um, you know, here because it would have been weird if Ty had somehow known Travis. Yeah. before. Or, you know, she moved. That would, it it would have been like a uh,
1: Sandy and Danny at the beginning of the Grease movie where she's from
0: <laughs> Australia,
1: but somehow she comes back and she's at his high school.
0: This is the second time we get to hear some Radiohead on this, um, on this soundtrack. Um, we, we, we previously had, um, fake plastic trees, which introduced us to Josh and the, uh, the, the college radio station and here we get my iron lung uh which had come out the previous october on an ep uh and the album of the Benz had also then come out a couple of months before the film um uh, and um it's weird actually that <laughs> radiohead these days i wouldn't think that radiohead would consent to having music on a soundtrack so it's Kind of a miracle that they got to... And I don't think they were particularly well-known in the US. Again, this is one of these situations where Amy Heckling picked a group who weren't that well-known and, and put a couple of songs on the soundtrack. Ah. Interestingly enough, the directors of some of their videos at this time... Um, Fake Plastic Trees was directed by Ridley Scott's son, Jake. And Street Spirit, which is the um, the video where they're in black and white and they're on slow motion, uh, that was directed by Jonathan Glazer, who directed Birth and Under the Skin. So... As well as Amy Heckling being, you know, ahead of ahead of everyone picking Radiohead for the her soundtracks, Radiohead were also picking directors um, who, you know, would go on to be big things. Um, so, you know, there you go, Radiohead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Ever heard um, of them, folks? Who,
0: coincidentally, I think after this episode has come out, they've just recently released another album. So, yeah. the, you know, they're still going strong. And we finish with Cher and Dion in the in the outdoor kind of dining area um with dion asking are you sure that's fat free and i'm not quite sure what's on um i can't quite tell what's on chair's plate uh but it looks like kind of like a half a croissant or something like that and um and then share starts cutting it into tiny little pieces to insist that that is how you lose weight uh, and Dion gives her a kind of look as if to say, I don't think that's correct. <laughs> and that's kind of where that's where our minute ends. So uh, so thanks for joining me, Phil and Shannon, um, on this. And uh, do you have anything to plug? And I'll go to Shannon first. Hello, Shannon.
1: Uh, sure. Well, I've mentioned uh, on this week's previous episodes, uh, my podcast, Stated Fools, and an appearance I made on Sophomore Lit. And if you just want to check out all my podcast stuff at once, plus my various acting endeavors, you can visit me online at shannon-camp.com. Great
0: stuff. And Phil, do you have anything to plug? We, I'm sure people are clamoring to hear more if they just listen to this episode. So, uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, would, I wanted to say that I, there's a, a, a John McCoy
1: of Sophomore Lit and I have a new podcast called Click It Cast. It's going to be a monthly show where we, uh, we just put out one episode uh, where we are covering the complete works, more or less, of children's author Beverly Cleary. So look for that online
0: click it cast right. of course you can hear me on this and a talking cast and the cast next door and stage of fools really i've been on quite a lot of podcasts by now um so uh, we hope that you will join us all tomorrow and... bye Bye-bye. bye
1: Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of As If, the podcast all about Clueless. It's produced and edited by Darren Husted. This episode was hosted by me, Darren Husted, with my guests, Phil Gonzalez and Shannon Camp. Like us on Facebook at As If, the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at As If, underscore podcast. And follow us on Instagram, As If, podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes or the podcasting app of your choice. And please rate and review if you enjoy. Clueless is owned by Paramount Pictures. No infringement is intended. All rights reserved. Copyright 2016.